class is going to teach you how to conquer your fears. I'm going to teach you how to awaken the snake within you. Points or no points, you're dead meat. Dead meat. <laughs> it's Cobra Kai. What then? Shall we go on sinning if the grace may increase? No, What are you looking at? Finish him! Are you sure you're ready? Because once you go down this path, there's no turning back. You're gonna be my karate teacher? No. I'm gonna be your sensei. You're listening to Give Sin a Body Bag, a podcast about offensive sanctification. Okay, fall in and listen up. Because today we get to the very heart of the Cobra Kai approach, the central tenets. Strike first, strike hard, no mercy. Let's just jump right in and we'll unpack them together. Strike first. Let's start with a little section I like to call a church full of flinchers. All your lives you've been avoiding fights so you don't break your nose or lose a tooth. This concussion nonsense. Miss Robinson, line them up. Unflinch this group. Johnny Lawrence, Cobra Kai, Season 1, Episode 7. My son is a second-degree black belt. He is 12 years old. Someday, if he sticks with it, the stuff he's learning now will make him a nightmare for any jerk who attacks an innocent in his presence. For now, though, he's 12. Which is why I was so glad when he told me the three rules of self-defense that he was made to memorize by his instructors. They are as follows. If attacked, one, try to run away, two, shout for help, three, use your self-defense. Notice that the karate is only for defense, and it's the last resort. Very Miyagi-Do. In your war on sin, do not use these three rules. Instead, I've got one rule for you. If sin shows its face, you crush its face. Or, as we see stenciled on the wall of our dojo here, strike first. This is serious, deadly serious. In fact, we live and die based on it. In Romans 8.13, St. Paul writes, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Brief excursus, yeah, yeah, I can see a way in which the three rules of self-defense would be a perfect outline for dealing with temptation. First, look for the way out God promised, per 1 Corinthians 10.13, then flee to the cross, you know, 1 Corinthians 6.18, 10.14, 1 Timothy 6.11, all that stuff. But again, the subject of this podcast is the hatred we should have for sin and the brutality with which we should kill it. So one of you can write that article if you want. Anyway. Striking first means not living your life in a state of spiritual reaction, only addressing a sin after you've fallen into it. In the words of Johnny Lawrence as he shouted encouragement to his student in the season one finale, Offense! Stay on offense! We don't let the enemy choose the time and place of the battle. If he saunters into your dojo and demands you wait for the tournament, lock the door and take care of the problem with the home court advantage. Rise mightily. Quiet! Johnny Lawrence, Cobra Kai, Episode 2. When you're at your weakest, most distracted, or most exhausted, sin will come at you like a lion picking off a straggling wildebeest. But when you've got it cornered, it suddenly goes all talkative serpent, trying to reason with you. You've got to shut that crap down right away. Or, as John Owen puts it, rise mightily against the first actings of thy distemper. Its first conceptions suffer it not to get the least ground. 
You can't make a deal with sin, or you will find in the fine print that you've signed everything over to it. It will raise a finger and ask, One more small request. Leave boy alone to train. Sin won't leave you alone. You can't leave it alone. And frankly, the Cobra Kai kind of dropped the ball when they agreed to that. Among the many great resources out there for fighting temptation is John Piper's Anthem. It's an acronym, and it's full of biblical truth. We're not going to get into the whole thing, but I highly recommend you look it up. Now, the N here stands for no. Piper's advice to forcefully say no to every lustful thought within five seconds is sound. And say it with the authority of Jesus Christ, Piper goes on. In the name of Jesus, no. Give it more unopposed time than that, and it will lodge itself with such force as to be almost immovable. Be tough and warlike. Strike fast and strike hard. That's literally a quote from John Piper telling you to strike fast and strike hard. I'll link to that on this episode's show notes. It's definitely worth reading. It's you where you live. Where does Daniel LaRusso live? Johnny Lawrence, Cobra Kai, Episode 8. When you were unregenerate also known as Ace Degenerate, your heart was the true home of all sorts of sin and rebellion, but no longer. Now the old man is trespassing, waltzing into your home like he still owns the place. Don't stand for that. You want to be like Johnny here. What did he do when Louis LaRusso and his smelly biker friends showed up at his house with a can of gasoline and some crowbars and started smashing up his sweet red firebird? He didn't hide, he didn't call the cops, he beat them down, and then he demanded, where does Daniel LaRusso live? Louis, pansy that he is, immediately gave up this information, and Johnny hopped on one of his attacker's motorcycles and went right to the heart of the problem. Contrast this with how Daniel LaRusso deals with an intruder in his own home. LaRusso, who will show up at your dojo late at night and make demands, whines like a little girl when someone returns the favor. When karate's bad boy Mike Barnes shows up in his backyard, he pretty much goes limp and lets himself be pinned to the ground by a foot to the throat. When Johnny shows up decades later, he's even softer. He first threatens to call the police, then he invites him into his house for breakfast, then he gives him a car. Let me remind you of the thesis of this podcast. In your war against sin, do not be a Daniel LaRusso, be a Johnny Lawrence. Most of us can think back to a time when we LaRussoed our sin nature. After the briefest token resistance, we handed over the keys to the place. Afraid to strike the first blow, we tried to reason with the appetites of the flesh and found ourselves gesturing proudly to a lot full of cars, saying, Choose. Consider the words of 2 John 8. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. The heart of the matter. Just because you live in a nice house doesn't mean nice things are going on inside. Johnny Lawrence, Cobra Kai, Season 1, Episode 8. The importance of going straight to the heart cannot be overstated. That's where the battle takes place. Following Jesus' example, John Owen warns us against dealing with the outward behavior as if it were the sickness rather than the symptom. Many men, he tells us, are able to follow the way of the Pharisees and make themselves appear to be quite righteous. Quote, Let now these men cultivate and improve their natural frame and temper by discipline, consideration, and prudence, and they may seem to themselves and others very mortified men when perhaps their hearts are a standing sink of all abominations. On the Mortification of Sin, Chapter 5. The Holy Spirit's sanctifying work is centered in your heart. The fruit it bears is in your actions, habits, etc., 
Join him in his work at the heart level. To quote the Apostle Paul, For it is God who works in you to will and to do for his good measure. Philippians 2.13, New King James. He's working in us. But if he is, we'll want to crush sin, and we will crush sin. We'll will it, and we'll do it. And yet it's not our work, but his. That's true sanctification. Root, not just fruit. Cobra Kai is about strength. If you're not strong on the inside, you can't be strong on the outside. And right now you're all weak. And I know that because I was you. Johnny Lawrence, Cobra Kai, Season 1, Episode 6. Jesus hated the way the Pharisees focused on the outer man, the appearance of holiness. He hated it so much that he publicly shouted them down, barking, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Matthew 23, 37. All their teaching, all their discipline, and keeping their hundreds of rules was all in vain. Natural man can actually appear to have things quite under control and disciplined, even without Christ. Sadly, there are even many pastors who are not saved. It's all a show, a whitewashed tomb. Lots of rules and the right personality can create a very convincing counterfeit. But St. Paul reminds us that, quote, These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Colossians 2.23 Last episode, we looked briefly at Romans 8.13 to remind us that this is indeed a life-or-death fight. But don't miss that all-important prepositional phrase in there. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. True, Johnny, Bobby, Tommy, Jimmy, and Dutch have a swagger about them, but we've got to avoid that. It's not by our own strength that we defeat sin. You don't become a Cobra Kai by doing these things. You do these things because you're a Cobra Kai. In fact, at this point, the analogy falls apart and becomes semi-blasphemous, so let's abandon it once again, just for a moment. You will not be saved by self-discipline or good works, only by Jesus. In our pushing forward toward sanctification, we don't want to build confidence in the flesh. Remember Philippians 3.12, not that I have already attained the resurrection of the dead or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Okay, so, so listen up. I told you from the start that this podcast was about sanctification, but we're actually really only dealing with half of sanctification. John Calvin and others, and yes, I divide everyone into two categories, John Calvin and others, have spoken of two sides to sanctification. First, mortification, and second, vivification. The first, of course, means putting to death, while the second means bringing to life. And yes, this is all rooted in scripture. You could look up 2 Peter 3.18, Hebrews 6.1, 1 Corinthians 12.11, and Ephesians 3.16. Both mortification and vivification must be present in our initial repentance. That is, the death of the old self with Christ and the resurrection of the new creation in Christ or we're just dealing with worldly sorrow, a false convert. And both will continue to be present in a regenerate soul. In Judges 6, we read the calling of Gideon to show him how serious Israel's idolatry has become and to get a real start on the reformation needed, God tasked him with tearing down his father's altar to Baal and his Asherah pole. But that wasn't all. 
Knocking stuff down is fun, am I right? But God told Gideon to then build a proper altar to the Lord and make a sacrifice on it, using the wood from the Asherah pole as a fuel for the fire. Both tearing down and building up are vital for sanctification. We are not just demolition guys with sledgehammers, as if getting back to zero is the goal. We live with a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other, and being built up is the most important thing, the ultimate goal. I obviously highly recommend John Owens on the mortification of sin as a help in mortification. Add to that Thomas Chalmers' short work, The Expulsive Power of a New Affection, for insight into vivification. Both are free online, so you have no excuse not to read them. In fact, I'll link to them on the show notes page. Don't delay. Wow, this place needs a lot of work. You're not open for business now, are you? Health Inspector, Cobra Kai, Season 1, Episode 2. Johnny's not the kind of guy who has patience for red tape. And yet, he's powerless to stop that city inspector who waltzes into his dojo and tells him, It's my job to make sure you're up to code, and you need to do this whole laundry list of improvements to get the certificate that's required to get the insurance that you need to open. You're going to hear a little of that, too, in your sanctification. Maybe from without, definitely from within. Disregard. Just as Johnny was already well into training Miguel at this point, and never stopped, you don't need to pass some spiritual inspection before you begin the work of mortification. The enemy wants you to believe that you have to get a bunch of stuff in order before God will think about working in you. I've been in ministry for decades now, and I've run into this a number of times. I want to get baptized, Pastor, but first I have to get my life in order. What? There's a reason we use water. You go in dirty. Or, I plan on getting involved in church, but I'd feel like a hypocrite showing up now. I need to work some stuff out first. Yeah, and the best place to do that is all by yourself, rather than in a community of people to help build you up? Sure, your progress may be unimpressive at first. So what? Keep looking to Christ, keep your head on a swivel, and keep killing sin where you find it. Be encouraged by every little step. To quote a man from that first category of people, John Calvin, Let each one of us, then, proceed according to the measure of his puny capacity and set out upon the journey we have begun. No one shall set out so inauspiciously as not daily to make some headway, though it may be slight. Therefore, let us not cease so to act that we may make some unceasing progress in the way of the Lord, and let us not despair at the slightness of our success. For even though attainment may not correspond to desire, when today outstrips yesterday, the effort is not lost." Only let us look toward our mark with sincere simplicity and aspire to our goal, not fondly flattering ourselves nor excusing our own evil deeds, but with continuous effort, striving toward this end, that we may surpass ourselves in goodness until we attain to goodness itself. That's from the Institutes of the Christian Religion, Book 3, Chapter 6, Section 5. All right, so that's strike first. Let's just keep barreling through and talk about our second main tenet. Strike hard. You don't stop here, where knuckle hits the bone. You punch through the bone, like the guy you really want to hit is standing behind this gentleman. Johnny Lawrence, Cobra Kai, Season 1, Episode 2. Mortify, not pacify. There's no tapping in karate. Johnny Lawrence, Cobra Kai, Season 1, Episode 5. So, back to the Cobra Kai. We've already established that you must strike first, but you must also strike hard. 
Don't be afraid to put everything you've got into the smallest spiritual provocation. We left Daniel and Johnny in Daniel's McMansion, where he completely failed to protect himself or his family, instead opting to throw a couple empty threats at his enemy, then feed him breakfast, then give him a car. Seriously, Danielle, it's one thing to get pulled off a fence by five guys and beaten up. It's another to roll out the red carpet for your adversary in your own breakfast nook. Unless we think Daniel is growing in any way, in Season 2, Episode 7, Kreese shows up at Mr. Miyagi's place, this sacred Miyagi doe sanctuary, snuffing out his cigar in one of the bonsais, and Daniel just stands there, paralyzed with fear. This is your weekly reminder not to approach sanctification like Daniel LaRusso. Let me just point out the obvious. Scripture doesn't tell us to whine about sin talk with sin, bargain with sin, make sin breakfast, or give sin a free car. Mortification means killing sin, and that's intense stuff. As John Owen writes in On the Mortification of Sin, chapter 8, Let no man think to kill sin with a few easy or gentle strokes. He who hath once smitten a serpent, if he follow not on his blow until it be slain, may repent that ever he began the toil. A fitting example from the Old Testament would be King Saul and King Agag in 1 Samuel 15. Saul had been tasked with attacking the Amalekites, defeating them, and putting them all to death. But Saul decided to spare their king, Agag, along with some of their best livestock to keep for himself. So God sent the prophet Samuel to go set things right. First, he rebuked Saul like nobody's ever rebuked anybody. Then he said, bring me King Agag. The Bible tells us that Agag, thinking he'd survived all the bloodshed, came cheerfully to Samuel. Sam then did what Saul lacked the stones to do. He, quote, hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal, for Samuel 15.33. There's a reason Cobra Kai always dress up like skeletons on any costuming occasion. I mean, first of all, because it looks dope, but also because our intent with sin is the same as sin's intent with us, to kill it. Sin is always shooting for your ruin. Don't let it pull an agag. I'll be good, just spare me. Hebrews 3.13 commands us to encourage each other along these lines daily so that we won't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. When my son's karate class, full of tweens and young teens, practices sparring, I hear the constant refrain, hit, don't hurt, from the instructors. Even though they've all got shin guards, puffy headgear, foam foot shields, and soft gloves on, it's important, of course, for them to hold back. Not so in Cobra Kai. As Johnny tells Miguel, there's only one reason to hit someone, to inflict pain. Strike hard against the desires of the flesh. A quick aside, for those who are not as schooled in biblical or theological lingo, I should explain what we mean by the flesh or the deeds of the body. The scriptures do not teach the Gnostic notion that we are evil because we are physical beings and that we'll be much less naughty when we're just a spirit floating around in the sky. In fact, that's the core of that worthless self-made religion that St. Paul condemned in Colossians 2. Rather, the flesh is kind of code for the sin nature. It's the remnants of the old self, with a heart broken by the curse and stained with sin, wicked and self-deceiving. It rejects the new heart and wants to kill it. So you must strike first and strike hard. I said bow! Referee, The Karate Kid, 1984. Cobra Kai isn't a dojo that teaches respect for our enemies. This is a common lament of all Valley referees who are constantly barking, I said bow! But Mike Barnes isn't about to bow to Daniel LaRusso. Neither is Dutch. 
Being granted fly-on-the-wall access to the Cobra Kai corner, we see that there is nothing but contempt for the enemy. When Xander Stone, in the season one finale, insists on doing some Nancy little flips, grabbing the mic from the announcer, and delivering some woke monologue about tolerance, Johnny leans in to his champion and says, kick that pansy gentleman in the face, to which Miguel smirks and answers, yes, sensei. Then he totally does it. Cobra Kai means zero tolerance for the enemy. Remember when that one Foot Clan and training guy bowed to Tatsu and then got kicked in the face? Yes, I've momentarily switched over to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 1990 as my point of reference. Go quick with me, guys. Then Tatsu leaned in and growled, Never lower your eyes to an enemy. In that moment, he was channeling some major Cobra Kai action. Lowering your eyes means your head's not on a swivel. And that's a real danger. Even Johnny, when he was fighting Kyler and company outside the Quick Mart, was too focused on the guy crumpled at his feet and wound up getting sucker punched in the back of the head. As Owen warns us, he that changes pride for worldliness, sensuality for pharisaism, vanity in himself to the contempt of others, let him not think that he hath mortified the sin that seems to have left. He hath changed his master, but he is a servant still. That's from chapter 5. In this life of mortifying the flesh, do not stop beating down your enemies until they are no longer moving. Revenge. My business is revenge. Terry Silver. The Karate Kid, Part 3. During the final match of the 2018 All-Valley Tournament, Daniel LaRusso tells his student, No aggression, just let him come to you. And, You let go of all that anger and I guarantee, you go home feeling great. Spoiler alert, he actually goes home having lost and feeling like crap. Then again, he took LaRusso advice. In one of the most surprising passages from On the Mortification of Sin, John Owen tells the reader that one of the results of true repentance is revenge. Yeah, you heard me. Revenge. What revenge is he talking about? The revenge Paul is writing about in 2 Corinthians 7.11, where, in the King James Version, the apostle lists amongst this fruit vehement desire, zeal, and revenge. Owen expounds in The Mortification of Sin, chapter 13, They reflected on their miscarriages with indignation and revenge for their folly in them. If you hate your sin, you want to strike back against it with absolute brutality. Owen gives us the example of Job, who cried in Job 42.6, Now I abhor myself, and until he did so, he had no abiding peace. In fact, it's one of the paradoxes of the Christian faith that, in this life, we can't have true peace unless we're striking hard against the enemy. However, we can absolutely have false peace. In Jeremiah 6.14, the prophet describes an epidemic of false prophets in Israel with these words, They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, where there is no peace. That's a favorite trick of the enemy. Going all cunning serpent, he says, It's not so bad. Everyone is doing that. There are even Christians on Twitter defending this or that sin, using scripture. Peace, peace. Like a quack doctor who tells you your cancer is sunburn and gives you aloe vera instead of chemo. All the while, it's eating your heart and your soul. The good kind of revenge is fueled by a hatred of evil. Yes, in this one specific area, you should be filled with hate. As King David says in Psalm 97.10, O you who love the Lord, hate evil. Or as Spurgeon reminds us, Even now, sin is an active enemy, ever watching to do us hurt and to drag us to perdition. Therefore, hate evil. If you would live a happy life and die a peaceful death, then walk in all the ways of holiness, hating evil until the end. 
Morning and evening, June 7, morning. Or to quote Sensei John Kreese in Season 2, Episode 7, Did you really think you could attack Cobra Kai and there wouldn't be consequences? Don't settle for silver. Second place is no place. John Kreese, The Karate Kid, Part 2. Complacency is the enemy of sanctification. Good enough is the enemy of holiness. These always lead to a life of sin management rather than sin extermination. You see, if you're a believer, sin isn't so much living in you as it is dying in you. The old you died in Christ, and when you encounter an old friend, or rather an old enemy, who died years ago, there's only one rational explanation. You're dealing with a zombie. And anyone who's ever watched The Walking Dead knows exactly what to do when you come across a zombie. You separate its rotting head from its disgusting body. In that confrontation, the person who gets second place doesn't get a trophy. His brains get eaten for lunch. And so, sometimes, you need a good friend to smash your second-place trophy and remind you that this is no extracurricular activity. It's life versus death. And truly, thank God we don't answer to John Kreese, who'd call you a loser and attack you for your failure, but to Jesus Christ, who doesn't choke you out when you fall, but picks you up, cleans you off, and puts the sword back in your hand. And the third main tenet of Cobra Kai. No mercy. What are you looking at? Finish him! John Kreese, the Karate Kid. Nothing dirty about winning. But Sensei, I can beat this guy. John Kreese, I don't want him beat. Out of commission. The Karate Kid. For all the worthless garbage that YouTube has shoveled into the homes and phones of Americans, you can actually come across some cool stuff. Case in point, U.S. War Department official training film TF.21 1024, from 1943, entitled Fighting Men, Kill or Be Killed. I've linked to it on the show notes. You need to watch it. It's awesome. It's black and white, of course, and features that awesome old-timey radio announcer-type voice doing the narration. The film, which was clearly showed to young men as they prepared to go fight the Germans and the Japanese, has a very Cobra Kai vibe. The narration begins by describing the spirit of America, which can apparently be boiled down to liking things, quote, fast and hard-hitting and clean. Instinctively, Americans love fair play. Don't hit a man when he's down. Don't hit him below the belt. Naturally, this fills us all with a sense of nostalgia for a simpler time when people had an innate sense of honor and sportsmanship, until we remember why this video was necessary in such a simpler time to begin with. The narrator goes on, But when you step from the gridiron to no man's land, the rulebook is buried and forgotten. You've got to twist your instincts inside out to play this game, because it's play to win. The goal is destruction, pure and simple. You have to go after your enemy, no holds barred. To hurt, to cripple, to kill. This is war. The tactics are different, of course, as are the weapons. The bludgeon, the blackjack, brass knuckles. Outlawed in the ring, but legitimate in war. Remember this, no army ever won a battle without getting its hands dirty and bloody. If your instinct says give him a decent chance, remember, he wouldn't give you one. The rule of a lifetime may whisper, you can't get a man when his back's turned, but in war there are no rules. Sometimes the neat right cross to the jaw is all right, but there are a hundred times when a neat right thumb to the eye is more dependable. This is brutal, savage, but they asked for it. On a much smaller scale, this is the same basic tension we see unfolding in the Cobra Kai corner of the mat at the 1984 All Valley. Bobby wants to do things by the book, while his sensei demands he do what it takes. In this case, I think Bobby's reluctance is less about a sense of fair play or wanting to give the other guy a fighting chance. Rather, Bobby wants the glory for himself. He wants a plastic trophy. 
He cares more about those things than about his dojo being victorious. This is a danger in sanctification as well, especially if we find ourselves puffed up with confidence in the flesh after a few small victories. It's easy to give God full credit for my justification, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. But if we're not careful, we find ourselves twisting these things up in how we think of sanctification. By my new inherent goodness alone, through my discipline and willpower, to my own glory, as I compare myself to those whose sins are more visible than my own. Men particularly have a tendency to go in all cocky, thinking, sure, let's do this like a fair fight. I'll walk right through the very places that used to cause me to fall, but I won't. I'll stand on my own two feet. It's temptation that will fall, followed by the sound of the guy kind of grunting cockily and rearranging the phlegm somewhere in the back of his sinuses. St. Paul gives us a little advice for that moment in 1 Corinthians 10. Let anyone who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. The same verse goes right into that famous promise of a way out when we are about to fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but that is common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. This isn't a defeatist strategy. Run away. In fact, there's something Jason Bourne about it. He tells that one German chick whose character name I'm not going to look up, I come in here and the first thing I'm doing is I'm catching the sight lines and looking for an exit. That's vigilance. And it's just the sort of thing that World War II era training film was pushing. Strike while your enemy's back is turned. Kill and slip away. I don't want him beat. I wonder why the makers of that film didn't connect their message with the most American thing ever, the Revolutionary War. The Redcoats had some hoity-toity sense of the rules which prompted them to fight like idiots. In addition to wearing <clears throat> red coats, they also marched in straight lines, right at their enemy, not even bothering to hit the dirt when a volley of musket balls was incoming. They thought of it as fair play, but at best it was machismo, which frankly doesn't seem British at all. The colonists, however, took a page from the proud Native Americans who were here before us. Lie in wait, strike from the shadows, the darkness, the thick of the forest, then disappear, leaving a pile of bleeding lobster backs behind, including as many officers as they could manage. It was war. It was brutal. No mercy. We love the way Inigo Montoya gives Wesley a moment to recover before they fight, but that's not how our enemy works. He attacks when we're weakest. He didn't come after Jesus when he'd been fasting for one day or ten. He waited until forty days in, and then, when he still got trounced, he, quote, departed from Jesus until an opportune time. Most of us assume that was the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was even lower. If you've watched a lot of 80s action movies, like I have, you know there's an unwritten rule that all henchmen must sort of dance around in the background, waiting their turn to attack the hero, one at a time. But that couldn't be further from your enemy's strategy. When you're weak, depressed, angry, broken, lonely, he'll bring everything he's got and dogpile you. The moment you think, yeah, I've got this. In fact, I'll fight with one hand tied behind my back. You've already lost. You're going to go down by a cheap and, frankly, illegal crane kick to the face. Your enemy isn't following the rules. He doesn't wait for you to catch your breath. So don't worry about a fair fight. When the first flash of temptation comes your way, strike it down, hard and without mercy. Look immediately for the way of escape and return to the cross of Christ, where you find life and true satisfaction. That's exactly what victory looks like. Axe to the root. The best defense is just more offense. Johnny Lawrence, Cobra Kai, Season 1, Episode 4.
In a previous episode, we discussed taking the fight right to the heart, meaning your own heart, where the true battle is. And when you're doing that, it's important to embrace the Cobra Kai value of no mercy. Galatians 5.17 tells us that the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Your enemy wants you completely chained up. So don't listen to the justification and double parsing of the world, the flesh, or the devil when temptation approaches. This time it's different. Really, just look at the nuance in this situation. You're not here to talk. And you're sure not here to listen. Strike first. Strike hard. No mercy. This is a trustworthy saying. When in doubt, lash out. And be sure to do it with killer intensity. Or, in the words of John the Baptist, lay the axe to the root of the tree. Not the limbs, not the fruit. If you want to spin your tires for years, sanctification-wise, then just focus on the fruit. Individual sins, deeds, thoughts, impulses. Guys, pulling fruit off the tree is what got us in this mess to begin with. Even if you up the intensity and use an aluminum baseball bat to smash the fruit off the tree, which admittedly sounds kind of fun in a juvenile way, it won't stop more fruit from growing in the very same spot. In fact, you're probably making some nice fertilizer for more of it to grow. And our intensity and good intentions certainly won't cause a fig tree to grow olives or a grapevine to bear figs. Yoink that one from Jesus' brother in James 3.12. When my wife and I moved into our current house, a brick house, it was covered in ivy. I, for one, thought this looked cool, but I quickly learned that it was really bad for the brick and mortar. So, I agreed. The vines had to go. I must have spent two hours one day pulling down vines. It was slow going because their little gripping roots hold on tight. The next day, I came home from work to find that my wife had spent all of ten minutes snipping the bottom of each vine, disconnecting it from the root that fed and nourished it. Immediately, the vines began to dry up and fall away. In the same way, you can spend years tearing away at fruit, trying to, quote, fix your behavior, reprogram yourself, etc. You might even be telling yourself that you'll get into the word and prayer once you've gotten this or that sin under control. That way, you'll deserve to be in God's presence. What you're missing is that if you focus on the root, or in the words of Colossians 2, 6-7, focus on uprooting the old desires and becoming more and more deeply rooted in Christ, the fruit will naturally change. Okay, enough folksy horticulture talk. This isn't folksy horticulture talk sanctification podcast. Let's talk Cobra Kai. Remember when karate's bad boy Mike Barnes had Daniel hanging over a cliff by a rope? (laughs) Daniel had been gathering a bonsai tree from, appropriately, Devil's Cauldron. Mike Barnes knew what he had to do. Take that devil tree from the Devil's Cauldron and snap it in half right down to the root. Sadly, he didn't go deep enough, and a little tape allowed the tree to recover— Even Mike Barnes needs to be reminded from time to time. No mercy. By the way, that was Snake's job. Snake should have reminded him. What else is he there for? Not his acting ability. If you ain't Dutch, you ain't much. You know, points or no points, you're dead meat. You hear me? Dead meat. Dutch. The Karate Kid. As you mortify sin, you will from time to time hear the voice of young Bobby whining in your left ear. Leave him alone, man. He's had enough. He can't even stand up. But from the other side, you'll hear Dutch declare, Yeah, that don't mean squat. Despite the poor grammar and peroxide hair and cocaine, probably, the latter voice is right. Listen to Dutch. John Owen states the obvious when he says, He that is appointed to kill an enemy, if he ceases striking before the other ceases living, doth but half the work. 
Sin will never be satisfied with how deeply it nests in your heart and mind or how deep it drags you into shame and prayerlessness. So we can never be satisfied with how badly we've beaten it. It can't get up? Yeah, that don't mean squat. You know what? Equal grammatical correction. That doesn't mean squat. Ironically, it's the same wicked spirit that promotes a self-made ascetic religion of touch-not, taste-not, handle-not when it comes to the good things of the world that also uses just a little touch, just a little taste, just a glance when it comes to wickedness. They're two sides of the same coin. Just a little leaven. What harm can it do with such a big lump of dough? Often that comes in the guise of, quote, balance or moderation. At least once a year, someone says to me, But pastor, doesn't the Bible say all things in moderation? To which I say, nope. The Bible doesn't say that at all. Sure, there are certain things that become sinful by immoderate use. Food, alcohol, rest, to name a few. But that's far from establishing an overarching rule. All things in moderation. That would include sin in moderation. This reminds me of pentagenarian Daniel LaRusso in Season 1, Episode 8 of Cobra Kai, telling young Robbie that he needs balance in his life. He then oh-so-eloquently goes on to explain it thus, quote, When those bad feelings all weigh you down, you gotta search inside for the good stuff, you know? And just note, at this point, he does this stupid thing with his hands where he's pushing one down and then pushing the other upward in a sort of evening-out gesture. Mm. Because then you can find some balance in your life. Understand? Miyagi, he is not. And even putting aside his toddler-level communication skills, no thanks. I don't want balance in my life between the, quote, good stuff and the bad stuff. I want Jesus. The bad stuff can wither away and be tossed in the fire, having had its root chopped to pieces by an axe, Matthew 3.10, and the fruit of the Spirit can then abound. So many Christians are caught up in this bizarre myth of balance, the yin and yang nonsense. That's a completely different religion, incompatible with the scriptures. That's not our approach. Lay the axe to the root of the tree. No mercy. Unless otherwise indicated, scripture quotations are from the ESV Bible, Holy Bible, English Standard Version, copyright 2001 by Crossway, a publishing ministry of Good News Publishers, used by permission, all rights reserved. The Karate Kid, The Karate Kid Part 2, and The Karate Kid Part 3 are all copyright Columbia Pictures Corporation. Cobra Kai, The Karate Kid Saga Continues, is copyright 2018, Overbrook Entertainment, and Sony Pictures. Columbia Pictures, Overbrook Entertainment, and Sony Pictures have not endorsed this production in any way. References to characters and short quotations from these materials are used for critical and or satirical purposes. Cut.